Whenever we have a, a national holiday like the one we just had this past week and we're celebrating our country, you almost always remember, we almost always commemorate those who have fought and died for our country. Now they, they, are, they are showing devotion for our nation and for the people of the nation and, and showing that they, that they care and that they, they are committed and that they're faithful. One thing that we normally don't celebrate on July 4th is uh, the king given what we know about the sinfulness of man and our history with kings, you know, we're not so sure about kings, so we, we tend not to celebrate, we, not, we don't have one, we don't celebrate them. And keep those things in mind, we're thinking about men who are, who are fighting and dying out of devotion to their country, and in, in not in our country, but in Great Britain, they don't only do it for the country, they do it for the king. It's for king and country. Today we're going to talk about men who are ready to die for their king. We commemorate and we remember the way that the scripture remembers and recounts men who are dedicated to give their lives for the king, for God's king. And they're a model for us for the way that we ought to be devoted, for the way that we ought to be faithful to our king, Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll see today that we ought to be ready to serve and to die for our king because he's that valuable we ought to be ready to devote ourselves and be faithful in everything to jesus christ as our king now today we're going to start in second samuel 21 yeah i should go ahead and turn there second samuel 21 i'm going to kind of give you kind of a a, a real quick outline of second samuel 21 through 24 so that you'll kind of understand what we're doing today because uh, we're going to kind of take some passages out of order and out of sequence, which we don't typically do, but I think you'll, you'll understand why we're doing it this way when I show you. So go to 2 Samuel 21. I want to show you something that's called a, a chiasm. That's named after uh, the, Greek word, the Greek letter chi, which is an X. So it's, gonna, it's, a, it's a Hebrew literary technique for highlighting something in the middle. All right, so that's why the X marks the spot, okay? That's where, that's where the, the real emphasis is. And we're kind of going to walk through chapter 21 through 24 so that you see that kind of thing there. And hopefully if you see it here, you can see it in other places in your Bible study. Now, I'll kind of warn you, there are commentators and interpreters who see chiasms and literary technique, techniques everywhere. You should make sure to see the most obvious ones like the one that we have here. So look at 2 Samuel 21. 1 through 14. That's the passage that we looked at last week. It's about the king's sin. The king sinned. The king saw sinned. And so there had to be atonement. It's about the king's sin. Uh, you pick up in verse 15 through the end of chapter 21. And it's about the king's men. So we're going to talk about the heroes and the men who, who fought for David. The, what we call... Uh, David's mighty men, his heroes, his soldiers, his, his army commanders. Then you, so you're, you're kind of you're taking a step up from king's sin to king's men. In chapter 22, you have the king's words. So you step up from king's sin to king's men to king's words. Then the first seven verses of chapter 23 is another set of the king's words. So that's what's right there at the top. That's what's most important. We'll be talking about those over the next couple of weeks. So you step up from king's sin to king's men to king's words. Another set of the king's word. Then you step down. 
23, 8 through 39, the king's men. And then you step down, chapter 24 is about the king's sin again. So you see how they mirror one another? Chapter 21 and 22, they, they mirror one another, where if you had um, you have these two panels, uh, and they, they mirror one another, you have king's sin, king's men, king's words, king's words, king's men, king's sin. Today we're going to be looking at the king's men. So start in 2 Samuel chapter 21, uh, verse 15. We're going to look at those men who were devoted to God's chosen king, devoted to God's anointed, to King David. What I want you to see first is God save the king. God save the king. So pick up in uh, 2 Samuel 21, starting with verse 15. God save the king. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants and fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jaar, or Agim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. And he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. You have to remember that the Philistines are the primary enemy of Israel during David's day. What they would normally do is they wait until harvest time. They come and raid Israel. They take all Israel's food. Israel is, is kept in, in poverty and oppressed and enslaved by the Philistines. Well, David came to set them free from slavery came to set them free from that kind of oppression. And so he's the one who in 1 Samuel 17, he goes out and he meets the Philistine champion who is Goliath. And David strikes him down with a sling and a stone and then cuts his head off and then posts it outside of Jerusalem so that the whole world would know that there's a new sheriff in town or a new king in Israel and that uh, he is the anointed of the Lord. And he's going to free uh, God's people from this oppression from the Philistines. Well, that wasn't the last battle against the Philistines. That wasn't the last Philistine giant. You have another giant that go out to battle. They're at battle this time. At, uh, uh, that goes out with his servants, and, and David gets tired. He's in the battle, and there's another giant. And he's got a 300-shekel he's uh, spearhead. That means about seven pounds. I don't know if you've ever thrown a javelin or maybe uh, tried to throw the discus or something like that. We're talking, about a, we're talking about a big man with a big spear, and he is, he is keying in on David. You kill, you cut off the head, and you kill the snake. You, he's, he's looking for the king. He kills David. He knows it's, he'll take care of Israel. And David's weary. He's worn out in battle, and it looks like he's about to get killed. Ishbi Benob's coming down on him, and then Abishai jumps in, saves David's life, kills this giant. And of course, that's what it looks like. It looks like that's what Abishai did. Who gets, who gets the credit for saving David? Abishai killed the giant. 
But look, look just a little bit further on in 2 Samuel 22 and look at verse 4. It says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Of course, it was Abishai who struck down the giant. But David always understood that no matter what happened, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter how God providentially or, or worked everything out so that he would be saved, that it was always the Lord who was watching out for him. I mean, think about that. That kind of gives us an idea of how to think about these men, how to think about other people who serve in the, in the name of the king. That on, on the one hand, we can honor and esteem those who, who are used by God in appropriate ways. So if we had parents who taught us God's word and brought us to church growing up, we can honor and esteem them. Uh, if we have a friend who at some point in our lives, they shared the gospel with us and they invited us to church and we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we can honor and esteem them in that way as, as instruments in God's hands. If we have pastors and teachers in the church who teach God's word to us and, and we mature through that, we can, we can honor and esteem them. If we have a, a spouse who, who's, who helps us to live a, a, a more and more godly life, then we can, we can thank God for that and we can honor and esteem them. So we can, we can remember and we can honor and we can esteem those that God uses, like God used Abishai. But then we also recognize that ultimately salvation is of the Lord. Whoever God uses, a friend, a spouse, parents, pastors, teachers, other people in the church, whoever God uses, it's the Lord who saves. The Lord saves us from all of our enemies. We call upon the Lord and we are saved. Now then after that, the, the men say to David, uh, you're not going to come out with us anymore. I mean, God saved David's neck so many times in so many remarkable extraordinary ways uh, over and over again he is he has Saul bearing down on him or he has some giant that he's facing or he has he has some he has some pressure on him one of the things that he says when he's on the run from Saul is that he says to Jonathan death is on my heels like every step I take death is right behind me and that's the way it was for David but now David is king and even though he knows that God is protecting him that doesn't mean that he should be foolish. And his, his soldiers, his men know that. And they say, hey, you're going you're gonna to stay behind enemy lines. You're going to govern the people. Because we do not want the lamp of Israel to be quenched. You know, the king, when he rules righteously, when he's a righteous good king like David, he is the light of his people. He is the life of his people. Flip over uh, a page or so to... Uh, 2 Samuel 23, and read verses 3 and 4 with me. 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4, says, The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me, When run, one rules justly over men ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. When you, have a, when you have a king like that, you don't want his light put out. You have a king who's like the, the morning sun that makes the, makes the grass grow. When he's, the, when he's like the rain that makes the crops grow. When he, he is the one who provides life. He is the light and life of his people. That's who David's men value him as. How much more should we value Christ as our light and our life? Certainly, Jesus' disciples and those who 
uh, others who were following him thought that on the day that he died that the light was put out. That's how, that's how those men that Jesus is walking with on, on the road to Emmaus in, in Luke 24, he's walking with them and, and they're, they're all glum and they're all sad and they're mourning and, and, and Jesus says to them, why, why, what's, what's wrong? And uh, they say, don't you know what happened? Have you heard about what happened in Jerusalem? And then Jesus shows them how from the, from the law and the prophets and the writings how the, the Christ must suffer the Messiah must die. And of course, God did not leave his anointed in the grave. He did not leave his king in the grave, but on the third day, he raised him, and Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of God where he reigns now until the time when he will come again and he will make all things right. Jesus Christ is our life. He is the light and the life of his people. Do we value Jesus Christ like that? David's men said, We'll go out front. We'll give our lives so that you stay back and you govern the people. Now, Jesus Christ came and he gave his life for us. How much more now should we give our lives for him, knowing that if we give our lives for him, the one who loses his life for Jesus' sake will find his life in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our life and our light. Now then, there, that's, that's still not the last giant. There are three more giants. So there's, a, there's another giant who is, uh, gets, gets killed by Sibachai, the Hushathite, Saf. He comes down. He's another, another one of these giants. And then uh, you look in verse 19. Some people are, are worried about Elhanan killing. Probably uh, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 25, preserves the better reading. That is, that it's not Goliath, but Lamai, the brother of Goliath. Uh, you know, this giant giant thing ran in the family and so he came out to kill him but Elhanan he killed this giant and then there's one more giant there is the 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 x-men of the giants the mutant giant and he's got uh six fingers on each hand and uh six uh toes on each foot and I'm sorry if I've insulted anybody with extra digits but he's uh he's got he's got he he is this is this is like a way to mark him as like superhuman and he taunted Israel he didn't remember what happened to Goliath. Goliath came out and defied the Lord and the armies of the Lord. And Goliath's head ended up sitting on a stick outside Jerusalem. Jonathan, the, the, who is David's nephew, comes out and he strikes down this last giant. And uh, this is how it says that they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. That's another thing that we should recognize is that whatever the king's servants do is for the renown or the glory or the credit of the king. Luke 17, one of my favorite little parables, Jesus tells us and he reminds us, we go and do everything for Jesus Christ. We go and do everything that we're supposed to do. And at the end of the day, we're still unworthy servants. It's the king who gets the glory. It's the king who rules. It's the king who's the light and the life of men. And so we honor him. Also, think about it this way. Genesis 15, these giants are listed there. They're known as the Rephaim. God made a promise to Abraham, one day I'm going to rid the promised land of all these, all these nations that are, that are wicked and evil. And one of those people that I'm going to rid this nation of, this land of, 
is the Rephaim. I'm going to get rid of these giants. These are the same ones who are known as the sons of Anak, the Anakim. So in Numbers 13, God, uh, Moses sends in spies into Israel, and they see all these giants. And they say, we can't go in there. We're, we're not going in there. Uh, we, we don't, we don't, God can't deliver us. God's delivered us from a lot of stuff. God delivered us out of Egypt. God delivered us into the wilderness. We've seen these giants. God can't do anything about these giants. I can tell you that. We are not going in there. And so God sentenced them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Who takes care of the Rephaim? Who takes care of the Anakim? Who goes into the promised land and destroys all the enemies of God's people? It's the king. David goes in and defeats the last of the enemies of God's people. Defeats these giants that kept them out of the promised land. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. Jesus Christ has taken away the power of Satan, who has the power of death. He's taken it away. He's taken away our sin, which has, is the sting of death. It is the reason why we are punished with death or why death is the punishment for sin. It is because of our sin. Jesus defeats sin. He defeats Satan. And when he returns again, he will defeat the last enemy, which is death, meaning that we will be raised with him. We will exchange these lowly bodies for a glorious body like the one that Jesus already has. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. Jesus Christ is the king who defeats every last enemy that we have. Let's praise and glorify our king, Jesus Christ. God saved the king. God saves through the king. Next we see for king and country. Uh, pick up in chapter 23. Flip over two or three pages to chapter 23. We're going to pick up in verse 8 and we'll read through the end of the chapter. 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 through 39. This is what it says. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And just, just you know, think about that for a second. I'm going to read a lot of names here. Sometimes we skip over names. We just read a lot of names in Romans 16. Sometimes you go to war memorials and you see the, the names our names are kept by God. A lot of people won't remember us in this life, and we, I know my name's not going to make it into the Bible, you know. But God remembers our names. So the, the people who are faithful don't, don't think that the, the names are unimportant. That doesn't mean that I'm always, when I, when I preach First Chronicles one day, I'm probably not going to read all the names. So, but I'm just saying there's, there's a good reason to read the names sometimes. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, Joshua Bashabeth, a top Mennonite. He was, a chief, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. The next to, and next to him among the three mighty men were Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the son, uh, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lahai, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, 
when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David, but he would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. Asahel, the brother of Jab, was one of the thirty, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shema of Herod, Elika of Herod, Helez the Paltite, Ira the son of Akesh of Tekoa, Abiazer of Anathoth, Melbunai the Hushathite, Zalman the Ahuhite, Maharai of Natopha, Haleb the son of Bayana of Natopha, Ittai the son of Ribai of Gibeah of the people of Benjamin, Benaiah of Pirathon, Hidai of the brooks of Gaash, Abi, Alban the Arbathite, Asmaveth of Baharim, Eliabah, the Shalalbanite, the sons of Jashin, Jonathan, Shema, the Hararite, Ahiam, the son of Sharar, the Hararite, Eliphalet, the son of Ahasbi, of Maacah, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, of Gilo, Hezra, of Carmel, Paarai, of the Arbite, Igal, the son of Nathan, of Zobah, Bani, the Gadite, Zelek, the Ammonite, the Harai, of Beeroth, the armor bearer, of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Ira, the Ithrite, Gareb, the Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, 37 in all. Start back at the beginning. You have these three mighty men. So the first one is Joshabeth, uh, also known as Joshabim in First Chronicles. So he was the chief. He went out with a spear, and he killed 800 men at one time in one battle. The next guy is Eliezer. These are the three. I mean, these are the three. Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohai. Uh, he goes out and he stands with David and defends the people. And he is, kills or fights and slays so many that his, his hand has been gripping his sword for so long that when the battle is over... He can't, he can't loosen his grip. I don't know if you've ever kind of experienced something like that. It's actually, there are other times in, in, in the history of battle where that's been paralleled. Can't even let, he can't, he's, been, he's been fighting for so long that he can't let go of his sword. Then there's the last, one, the last of the three, Shema. And he stood on a plot of lentils. That may not seem like a big deal. Uh, but you have to remember that the, the Philistines, they're not coming always to kill the Israelites. They want the Israelites to work, 
and then they want to come and take their food. And so when he's standing in the field of lentils, he's coming and standing for all of the women and children behind him who want to eat. So all the other Israelites, they run away, and Shema stands there, and he wins the battle single-handedly. Nobody else even comes back until it's all done. The only thing they come back to do is to strip the slain. These are three great men that God used as heroes in Israel. Now notice two places though. Look at verse 10. Look at the last sentence in verse 10. And it's talking about what Eleazar did. But it says, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And their men returned after him only to strip the slain. God, these men did extraordinary things. But God, the Lord, gave great victory that day. Look at verse 12. He took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. You're looking, you're looking at these, these great men. I mean, these are the three. I mean, these, I don't know how many SEAL teams we have, but I mean, the SEALs would not make it with these guys. These, these, are, not, these are not one of the SEALs. These are one of the, the three. Who gives the victory? The Lord gives the victory. Whose men are these? They're David's men. They're the king's men. The king's men. The Lord gives victory through the king's men. We, we, should, we should honor and esteem God's servants and God's instruments in appropriate ways, but always the honor and the glory goes to God and his king, Jesus Christ. Now then you have these two other guys, Abishai. He's, the, he's one of the sons of Zerah, keep that in mind. He's one of the chief commanders. He's one of the three big commanders that David has. And he's not quite one of the three, but he killed 300 men. And he's renowned, almost to the level of the three. And then he had this other guy, Beniah. He kills two aerials of Moab. Probably means that he kills two of the greatest warriors in Moab. So, you know how David goes out and defeats Goliath? This is probably what Beniah did. It's probably this kind of champion versus champion kind of thing. Uh, and Beniah is evidently a, a master of, of hand-to-hand, one-on-one combat. And so he goes out and he takes out these two Moabites. Uh, he also goes into a pit and slays a lion on a snowy day. I'm sure the lion had it coming to him. This is the kind of guy he is. And... Uh, he also, there was also this Egyptian, calls him, calls him handsome. Handsome in the Old Testament usually means something like this guy was big and strong and nobody thought. Uh, Benaiah walks out there with a club. This guy's got a spear. Uh, this guy's got, uh, uh, this guy's, this guy's the, uh, undefeated. And uh, Benaiah snatches his spear out of his hand and kills him with his own spear. That's who Benaiah is. All right, so I want you to, now then, I want you to keep this in mind. Abishai and Benaiah are two out of the three great commanders and generals in Israel. Now then, read, you look, flip over uh, or look at the next verse. Look at verse 24. It says, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. So Asahel is, is counted among the 30 great men. 
Abishai and Asahel are two out of the three sons of Zeruiah who were counted among the 30 great mighty men. Now then skip down to verse 37. There's this guy named there, Nahari of Beroth. He is somebody's armor bearer. But the guy that he bears armor for is not in the list. I want you to think about it this way. Let's say that you are carefully planning a party or a wedding or some big event, and you're sending out invitations, and you're going to send an invitation to my house. Eleven people live at my house. You send ten invitations. Krista gets an invitation. Jake gets an invitation. Abe gets an invitation. Elliot gets an invitation. Emma gets an invitation. Esther Kate gets an invitation. Isaac gets an invitation. Judah gets an invitation. Eliza Jane gets an invitation. Evelyn gets an invitation. Everybody in the house gets an invitation but me. You thought about this list. And you decided that you're going to send ten invitations to one house and you're going to specifically leave out one person. What are you trying to say about me? What are y'all saying about me? You're trying to say, you're trying to say, you're not going to be honored. You're not esteemed. You're not faithful. You didn't do what was right. You are not one of the mighty men. You are not one of the heroes. You are not one of those who are faithful and devoted to the king in Israel. Two out of the three commanders, the one who's left out is Joab, who is the general. Two out of the three sons of Zeruiah, the one who's left out is Joab. The one whose armor bearer is included in the list, but his name is left out, is Joab. Why? Joab murdered Abner. Joab murdered Absalom. Joab murdered Amasa. Joab was a wicked, violent, self-serving, evil man. And he's not going to be honored. He was not faithful to David. And just to confirm that this is the way that the scriptures think about Joab, this is the way that David thinks about Joab, just read on in your Bible reading to 1 Kings 2. That's where David says to Solomon, before David dies, he says, you make sure, you use your wisdom, but you make sure that Joab does not die of old age. You make sure he doesn't go down to the grave in peace. And toward the end of 1 Kings 2, Joab is in the tabernacle, grasping on to the horns of the altar, hoping for mercy. And who gets sent in to kill Joab? Benaiah, the lion slayer. You know what James 2 tells us? Tells us that judgment is without mercy toward those who show no mercy. Joab showed no mercy. Joab received no mercy. You should remember that. When we think about what will be the outcome of our lives and what will happen when God judges us, let's remember there is no mercy for those who show no mercy. There's one more name that we have to look at. That's the very last name in the chapter. Look at verse 39. Uriah the Hittite. 
Uriah the Hittite was a faithful, devoted man. There was one time when David wanted him to go to his house and take a break. And he said, hey, all my, all my companions, all my comrades, all, my, all the other faithful mighty men in Israel are out there on the battlefield. I'm, I'm, not, going, I'm not going home. Uriah was faithful and devoted to the king. And he was, the, he was the one man that we know that David was not faithful to. David took his wife and then, by the hand of Joab, had him killed. You know what? David did something that Joab never did. David repented. David repented. Listen to, the, to Psalm 51. It says to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. But to the one who turns from their sin, mercy triumphs over judgment. We receive mercy through the death of Jesus Christ. If we will turn from our sins, we will find mercy with God. David is a reminder to us that no matter how evil and how wicked we have been, no matter how much we have sinned, no matter how much we've done wrong, we have mercy with God through Jesus Christ. He in his mercy, he blots out our transgressions. There's one more little story that I skipped over of devotion to the king. This one point with the three, with the three mighty men and the 30 mighty men, we're looking at verses uh, 13 through 17. Uh, David is, is in his cave and he's in his stronghold and he says, man, wish I had some of that water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. Now, think about this. David's not just saying he's thirsty. He's, there's probably water around. He can get water. Who's going to have a stronghold that doesn't have a water source? He's got water. What he's saying is, is that I want the water by the gate in my hometown that I used to drink out of when I would bring the sheep in or that I would drink out of during harvest time. I want that water. I mean, that, that water's got a certain mineral profile, which gives it a certain taste profile, has a certain temperature profile. I want that water. I want the water that I grew up on. I want the water, you know, they, they say that the, the uh, cells that, that uh, fire together, wire together, I mean, from a young child, he had had this, this taste sensation, this refreshment of the well by the gate in Bethlehem. But he's just saying, hey, I wish I, wish I had some of that. Man, it would be a good time to have some of that. Three men hear him say that, and they say, they go and get it. And they don't sneak in at night. They go and fight their way in, and they fight their way out, and they bring the water to David. And David pours it out. When I first read that story, I was really disappointed. I was like, David, what are you doing? That's, that's so ungrateful. You know, 
But you understand what David's saying that he, he says he poured it out before the Lord. This, this water represents the blood of these men. And, and I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve that kind of devotion. Who deserves that kind of devotion? Only God. Only God deserves that kind of devotion. Now listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. David said, I don't deserve that kind of devotion. Jesus demands that kind of devotion. Why can Jesus, as God's Messiah, God's Christ, God's King, why can he demand it? Why can he demand what only God deserves? He is God who took on flesh. He is the Son who took on our humanity to die in our place. And he deserves that we would risk our lives for him. We would risk every relationship, the closest relationships. David wanted water from his boyhood. Jesus says, your own mother and father who raised you. I want you to love me more than them. Love, the, these men went and risked their lives to get water for David. Jesus says, take up your cross. Willingly suffer and die for me. The one who, who holds on to his life, who finds his life here and now, he's going to end up losing his life. But if you will go and risk your life and you lose your life for Jesus Christ, then you will find life and light in Jesus Christ. These men were ready to devote themselves to Jesus. I'm sorry. These men were ready to devote themselves to David. David says, I don't, work, I don't, I don't deserve that. Jesus says, I'm worth it. I want you to listen to one more story of devotion to Christ. This is Matthew 26, 6 through 13. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? You hear that? Why? Why? this why why are you wasting that why this waste for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor but jesus aware of this said to them why do you trouble the woman for she has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you but you will not always have me and pouring this ointment on my body she has done it to prepare me for burial Truly I say to you, wherever the, this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This woman saw how valuable Jesus Christ is. And she gave everything for him. This, this, this perfume that she had, this, this, it was probably her dowry, it was probably what she would use to get married one day. She says, for Jesus. My life, my treasured possession for Jesus. And everybody who's looking around at how devoted she is to Jesus is going, what a waste. His own disciples say, what a waste. 
His own disciples who had left everything, left their occupations, left their lives to follow Jesus, they say, that's, that's a waste. People look at real true Christians and they don't have that question. Why, why are you wasting that? You're wasting your time on Jesus? You're wasting your money on Jesus? You're wasting your energy on Jesus? You're wasting your life on Jesus? They ought to wonder, why, why do they give so much for Jesus? What they don't understand is what I hope you do understand. Jesus Christ is that valuable. Jesus Christ is that valuable. Jesus Christ is worthy of every minute of your time, every, every cent of your money, all of your energy, all of your strength. Jesus Christ deserves that. Give it to Jesus Christ. Men, men give their lives for the country. Men give their lives for money. Men give their lives for all kinds of things. A Christian gives his life for Jesus. Let's give our lives for Jesus. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, uh, we praise you. Uh, that you save. Thank you that you have raised your son for us and by raising him you saved us all. By sending him to die for us you've saved us all. Thank you for saving us through Jesus. Thank you for thank you for sending him to take away our sin to defeat Satan to defeat all of our enemies, even death. Please grant that we would have no fear, we'd have no fear for our own lives, that we would be ready to risk our lives for Jesus. It's only by your spirit that anyone would give their lives the way that these men did or the way that we ought to for Jesus. Please work in us by your spirit that we would give our lives for Jesus. We would give everything that we have, heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.